This is Science Friday. I'm Ariel Dimros. I'm filling in for Ira Flato this week. The rate of prescriptions for ADHD medications rose by 30% during the height of the pandemic. That's from 2020 to 2022. Most of these new prescriptions were given to young adults, people between the ages of 20 to 39, and predominantly to people assigned female at birth, including women and some trans folks. As someone who was diagnosed with ADHD a little over a year ago, I was curious about what's going on here. Joining me now to help make sense of these trends is my guest. Dr. Julia Schechter is the co-director of Duke University's Center for Girls and Women with ADHD, based in Durham, North Carolina. Dr. Schechter, welcome to Science Friday. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. A 30% increase in prescriptions over the course of just two years seems like a lot. What is it about the pandemic that might have prompted adults to seek treatment and diagnosis for ADHD, and presumably many for the first time? You know, one of the things that we we know about girls and women with ADHD is that their symptoms often are most apparent at times of transition. So, you know, you think about transitioning to a new school year or transitioning to Mm -hmm. college or transitioning to becoming a parent. And certainly the pandemic and lockdown was just this monumental transition, right? right? And, you know, people were transitioning to working from home and being on Zoom all day or or having to teach their kids at the same time and care for Mm -hmm. loved ones. And all of this external structure and these compensatory strategies that they'd been using to manage their lives, it all just completely fell away. And, you know, I think one really important point to make is that it wasn't that, you know, the pandemic and lockdown caused these women to have ADHD. They didn't suddenly wake up one morning and and have this neurodevelopmental condition. Essentially, these women's lives were already kind of like a house of cards, and the pandemic was just this big wind gust that brought it all down and revealed a lot of the challenges that had already been there to begin with. Rates of ADHD diagnosis among women and, you know, more broadly, anyone assigned female at birth have roughly doubled in recent years. Why is that? So it's a, it's a great question. And I don't think we know the answer. I think there's a lot of different factors. I think one is, is this point of these difficulties were always there, but weren't always being recognized. The vast majority of our research on ADHD is done with males. Mm-hmm. And so what this has done is really centered our understanding of what ADHD looks like on the male presentation. And so for a very long time, girls and women with ADHD were missed uh, or misdiagnosed with some other condition. And this led to them not being identified and, and missing out on some really transformational treatment. We can't treat someone unless we can identify them. We also know that it's highly hereditary. So that, um, you know, if you have a kid with ADHD, this might be a a signal that that you may have ADHD, right? I think that was another factor of the pandemic, too, is that we talked to some women who are getting diagnosed in adulthood. And they said, you know, the first clue to me was actually when we got our child diagnosed. And, you Mm. know, also when I was home and teaching them for pandemic schooling, and I was able to you know, literally be in their virtual classroom and see these difficulties. And and suddenly I started to reflect that, huh, this actually is me. And I've just been coming up with a lot of strategies to hold it together. Uh, Mom, if you're listening, I hope you're taking some of this in. We've had conversations <laughs> about this, but uh, we'll, we'll keep talking. Um, so <laughs> what exactly is the difference in experience for folks who are socialized as girls in early childhood 
you know, that might result in a missed diagnosis. A lot of times girls and women do tend to have that inattentive presentation as the more predominant feature. And so these, you know, are often girls who are, as kids, kind of looking out the window and doodling during class. They're not disrupting the class. They're, they're, they're really just not making any sort of waves. And so they kind of get by using compensatory strategies. And that doesn't mean they're not struggling, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they oftentimes are are doing double the work to write to get by. I mean, I think when you ask people to reflect on their childhood, you ask women to reflect on their childhood, they say, oh, yeah, I turned all my work in, but I was staying up all night to do it. We also know that girls and women can absolutely have the hyperactive and impulsive presentation of ADHD mm-hmm. too, but that it can look different in, in, in people who identify as girls and women. So for example, we often see that they are more hyper-verbal um, and talkative rather than hyperactive and kind of having that ants in the pants sort of presentation. We also know that girls and women with ADHD are more likely to experience co-occurring conditions. So things like anxiety and depression, and this could be because of untreated ADHD, um, or it could exist independently. Bottom line for these girls and women with ADHD, oftentimes things are very complex and not as straightforward, and it's harder to assess. And they really end up, you know, suffering in silence. The time period that we're talking about is also interesting because around that time, I also saw a ton of videos on social media, especially TikTok and Instagram, where people of all genders were talking about their experiences with ADHD. It's the kind of content that raises awareness, which then makes me wonder if maybe any of these videos had an impact and contributed to this increase. We don't yet have research to kind of indicate the degree to which social media has played a role in these ADHD increases, but it is highly likely that it did to some capacity. And, you know, I think the intersection of ADHD and social media is, is, is a double-edged sword, right? Because on the one hand, like you said, it raises awareness about how ADHD can look in women um, and how it can look different. It, um, it can reduce stigma. We know ADHD impacts people of all genders and races and ethnicities, and that has not always been reflected in the research studies. Um, on the other hand, you know, social media is not always great for uh, you know, disseminating evidence-based information. And we know that social media can also perpetuate misinformation. Um, you know, ADHD is really complex and uh, you know, reducing it down to a TikTok can, can weaken the message right, about the, the very real functional impairment that can come along with ADHD. You know, a post about losing your keys or being late sometimes or having a really messy house, I mean, it, it, can, it, it can diminish some of the, you know, the, the additional struggles and burden and significant impact that ADHD can have on people's lives. Right. So the way I finally realized that I have ADHD was by talking to a friend of mine who also has it and learning about their symptoms and then going, wait, that sounds like my experience of the world. And I think that some of these videos, you know, they they play that role for folks, you know, for people who maybe never even considered ADHD as a possibility for them. But I can also imagine that some of the symptoms of ADHD being relatable to a lot of folks, especially in periods of stress, it. It's not just people with ADHD who could uh, see themselves reflected in some of these videos, right? I don't think that it's just people with ADHD who have trouble focusing during a Zoom meeting that's taking place at the height of a pandemic. So just to be clear, 
what does it actually mean to have ADHD? So ADHD is a, a real you know, neurodevelopmental condition, which means it has to do with your brain structure and brain function. And when someone has it, what that means is that they have kind of elevated levels of challenges with their you know, regulating their attention and or regulating their behavior. And what does elevated mean? Um, so if you look in our diagnostic and statistical manual, it actually indicates that you have to really show at least six of the nine symptoms of inattention or hyperactive and impulsive behavior. But in addition to just showing those elevated symptoms, we have to see that they're persistent across time, across settings, that there's no other better explanation for, for these kinds of challenges, and that they're really causing problems for people. They're messing things up in some way. And one last thing to mention is that we also need to see that several symptoms were present in childhood. So what we're really looking for is the symptoms, at least several symptoms prior to age 12. I want to be clear that, you know, getting medications for ADHD is a process, right? And actually, there are quite a bit of regulation around that. But there have been reports of online clinics being rather loosey-goosey in their approach to diagnosing and then prescribing a number of medications, including ADHD medications like Adderall. Do we know how much um, those online pharmacies might have played a role here? I don't think we know that yet. Um, I think they probably did play some kind of role. And, you know, I talked to a lot of patients who've kind of gone that route. And certainly I see these ads on my own social media, right? On the one hand, we have a really big access to care issue in this country. Like you said, it can be so mm -hmm. challenging for people to find providers who are, you know, one, trained in providing you know, ADHD evaluation, especially in adults, and then two, aware of the gender-based differences in ADHD, and then also, you know, three, being able to you know, prescribe medication if, if that is, is what is indicated. I think finding ways to broaden access to evaluation and treatment for ADHD is critical. However, you know, ADHD is a really complex condition and really requires you know, proper evaluation to help distinguish between what is ADHD versus what are just kind of normal variations in attention and behavior and what also might be another psychological condition that can mimic ADHD. And we really don't have the science yet in terms of our ability to reliably diagnose someone extremely quickly, you know, like with a two-question survey that, again, is kind of what I see advertised, uh, you know, on my social media. Or I think people should be cautious, I think, when, when you know, pursuing those kinds of avenues for diagnosis and treatment. What I'm getting from you is something that's actually kind of fascinating, right? It sounds like it's possible that clinicians are both over-diagnosing and under-diagnosing patients with ADHD at the same time. Some folks are falling through the cracks while others are getting diagnosed with something they don't have. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think that that is definitely true. And again, we just don't know to the degree to which it goes either way. I think what is clear is that, especially with the um, in relation to to women, is that you know a lot of these women have been struggling their whole lives, and it wasn't until you know these conversations have really spiked recently that they realized that there might be a real neurodevelopmental reason for why they have experienced these symptoms. I think what is very clear is that we have been missing people, especially women. But certainly there are people that are likely getting this diagnosis without a thorough, proper evaluation to help tease apart, is it ADHD or is it something else? That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Schechter. 
Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Julia Schechter is the co-director of Duke University's Center for Girls and Women with ADHD, based in Durham, North Carolina.